Hi, and welcome to Figure Speech, a program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on poet and educator Tavy Smith. Take a listen. Hi, my name is Tavy Smith. I'm a writer and educator um, from Nigeria who now lives in New Orleans. About midway through the second quarter, I accepted a teaching position at a charter school that's closing after the school year. And when I got there, my homeroom children, my homeroom students, um, had just scored a 79% unsatisfactory on the last benchmark testing. So when I got there, a couple of them uh, found my book online and they asked me to write a book about them. So the deal was if they did well on the benchmark coming up, that I would write uh, a book all about them. So a week after the benchmark testing, I get the results that my brilliant black and brown children had went from a 79% unsatisfactory to a 7%. So in a month and a half, I wrote the young adult novel in verse, Exit Ticket. An exit ticket, for those who aren't educators, is an assessment of what you should have learned during that day. I teach workshops on relationship-based instruction because I believe firmly that if a child doesn't trust you, if a child doesn't feel safe with you, then there's nothing you could teach them. And when I first arrived, one of the most challenging students I had, Jonathan Johnson, led the charge of change for that last benchmark. And he happens to be the inspiration for the title character in the book, the main character in the book. And then another brilliant student, Serenity Murdoch, who couldn't be here with me today, wrote the foreword for the book. And I'm so extremely proud of all of them. It's too many. I can't call their names out, but I'm so, so happy and so honored to have been able to teach and learn from them this year. So Exit Ticket is my attempt to humanize the teaching experience so teachers can see students as more than students and students can see teachers as more than teachers and we can get a better understanding so classrooms are safe spaces for everybody involved again and not such rigid prison pipeline type of areas so this is a little bit from exit ticket i'll tell you if you really won't know, I promise I'll tell you. Our teachers only care about yelling at kids and kicking kids out of classroom like it make their day or something. To get paid for having an empty room, like having the icing off a cake with no cake in the middle. It's how you can fool yourself into thinking ain't nothing wrong with the whole thing. Now, I know you ain't going to believe me. Nobody ever believed kids like me. You probably believe the same noise they tell our parents at orientation and report call conferences. They all get together when we're not in the building and talk about dress downs and fun Fridays like they're dope inventions or something. They come back to school and either over the speaker or in the classroom, stretch their smiles and go on and on about how much they care about us, but it is all a lie. They care about having an easy class. They care about their jobs and how they look at each other. Good job, Miss So-and-so. Great-looking line, Mr. What-the-hell-ever. Man, I bet they give out awards to the teacher who can get us to be robots the best. It's like that, all that red ink, like all them negative points made them forget what it's like to be human. Like all that pretending made them forget what it's like to be free. What they don't tell you is that school is like a prison. Now, I ain't spent no real time in one other than visiting my Uncle Chris, but from what I see on TV, same shit. Uniforms, check. 
Child time, check. Your time, check. Man, being a teacher is just another name for a CO, and that's what it really means to be a teacher. And the stuff is the same name. They call me Lil J. Now, I don't know you yet, so I ain't going to get into what my real name is and anything right now. My mama, my aunt, my grandma, my papa, my friends, even teachers call me Lil J. I don't remember a time when I wasn't called it. I guess the name just stuck. Like it was my reward for surviving all the other alphabets. It's like, like my real name ain't really my real name. We, all right, all right, let me put it like this. Like some days, I don't think life is real. I don't think school is real. Hell, I don't think I'm real. Like it's all made up. Like all these rules and punishment, like all this death got to be fake. That's all got to be a part of a dream or a nightmare. And maybe you ain't having the same dream. Maybe you can get some truth out of all this. I just want somebody to know what happens inside these schools to know that we're more than just students, that there are whole lives behind our ID numbers and test scores. I hear teachers every year saying that we don't take our future serious enough, and maybe we don't. Maybe we don't take any of it, not even them tests seriously, because don't nobody take us seriously. That's why I'm telling you this. I'm trusting that you'll believe me. I'm trusting that you'll know what to do with this once you finish reading my story, which is like all our stories that ain't never been told and believed. I'm from New Orleans. My parents is from New Orleans, and they parents were from New Orleans. And we ain't got a lot of money, but baby, we proud of being from here. I grew up in the lower ninth ward. My mama grew up in the Calio projects, and my papa was out the Desire projects. Most of them tore them down. Now they replaced them with some fancy apartments with fresh paint and plants and yo. You ever notice there ain't no trees in the hood? Like my TD say the government trying to melt us down into something better. She come over one day all out of breath talking about some, they gentrifying out here. I just saw a white woman walking a dog on Magnolia. It was so weird, damn lady made me clutch my purse. Now I don't know where you at. And I don't know if you at home in a library on a bus or ducked off in a quiet corner reading this. I don't know if gunshots, if screaming, if your city heats each ear like a heartbeat drumming in your head. I don't know if you're like me and hear noisy memories that yell into your world, that yell into your focus in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day, in the middle of class, in the middle of trying to live quietly. My city is loud, so loud that normal folk who know how to forgive themselves real good fly here just so they can drink and scream like they're yelling into a bag of God, like the French Quarter holds the soundtrack to heaven or something. I don't know no other place and i don't want to if you from here new orleans is born in your bones mama say the storm blew your daddy to houston and he never felt the wind to blow back maybe that's why it's so hard to breathe some nights like he took most of the wind with him like i gotta breathe for both of us now like only breathing in new orleans protects us from any storm that may try to come down i-10 west i used to daydream that one day he surprised me that one day he'd show up when I was changing classes. I'd hug him. He'd hug me. Everybody would go to their rooms, and the hallway would be all eyes. We'd talk about everything. He'd tell me he's proud of me. He'd tell me what he's been. I'd be so happy that I'd find a new way to breathe. I'd keep this new way safe all day, then take it home and show it to mama, my mama, Latoya Jones, who went to the same school I go to now. It was called something completely different when she went here, and it'll be called something else after whoever takes it over next year. I've been in this whole building my whole life. I've seen principals leave and teachers quit on us in the middle of the year. I'm in the sixth grade now, and we just found out that the school is closing after this year. So why in the hell should I keep trying when the whole building giving up? I have no idea where I'm going next year. 
I don't know if it's going to be better at another school, but I figure just about anywhere got to be better than here. If it wasn't for my teacher, Mrs. McLeod, I would have been stopped coming to school. You know that teacher. Everybody likes because they funny or nicer than the others and let you slide sometime even when you mess up. It's like going into another building. It's like going into another country when you go to that room. They got the calm music playing, plants hanging up, and that thing that blow out the nice smells. Whatever. That's Mrs. McLeod. Now, I don't know where she going next year, but I figure just about anywhere going to be better because she there. And I hate my other teachers. I mean, every single one of their raggedy selves. I hate that they don't know what they're doing, so they pick on you. I hate the behavior team. I hate the stupid essays they make us write. I hate walking in a straight line like I'm in jail. I hate level zero. Matter of fact, I hate all them damn levels. I even hate the lunch ladies with their greasy-ass hands and faces. But most of all, I hate my social studies teacher, Mr. Warrington, with a passion. You know that teacher that don't let you get away with none. They always yelling and threatening to call your parents on you. Like they live to get out homework. Well... That's Mr. Warrington. Men with no hair on their face ain't really men, is what mama say. Mr. Warrington got to be about seven feet tall, long blind ponytail, round green glasses, pale face like he been hiding from the sun, large body like he been hiding from the gym. I'm glad the school closing. To be honest, they down bad for not closing this building a long time ago. I miss some days of school and ain't nobody even called to check on me. Nobody asked me why. A few hit me with a... Would you like to talk about it? Like, I hate when people ask that. It's a question, but they're hoping you say no, so I say no. I wish someone would just say, hey, come talk to me. Because, hey, come talk to me, it's like a command with care. Like, they ain't asking you. Like, they see you need it. No one ever says that. But they make sure to let me know that when we're at a level zero, when we enter the classroom and I can't come back and I can't go to fun stuff because of my absences, I came to school every day last week because they trying to say I missed 38 days of school. Like, why show up just to be yelled at and told to sit down or else? Who would be happy to show up to a place hardly anyone cares about you? I bet none of them teachers even know that my pawpaw was sick and in the hospital and that he had been in there so much that he was more at home there than he was with us. Or how sickness can make someone you know look like a stranger and turn tears into strange love. I bet they don't know that the doctor with his rushed smile came into the room early one night and met with my mama. I bet they don't know that I saw her melt into the floor in the dark hospital hallway or how the blue light stood still, how life stood still just outside the door when she got the news like a paralyzing poison that there was nothing else they could do for him. Now, I don't know if you know what it's like to get the wind knocked out of you. If you know what it's like for something so strong and horrible to happen that it pauses the world you live in or when the people and the person who gives you breath the most stops living, you start breathing how you used to. Every breath from that point on is angry and loud and hard and it hurts so bad that you scream at anybody trying to make you be silent because holding it in hurts your whole body because holding it in hurts your whole mind. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't stop thinking. We stayed at Ashna Baptist all night and I still had to come to school just to get sent out of class for sleeping. For sleeping? Ain't nobody even asked why I'm tired. Maybe I've told them they wouldn't care. They wouldn't care that what I got going on deep on the inside of me is too big to fit inside a normal classroom. Imagine being forced to be normal. First of all, everybody I know, even the weather a little crazy. Life ain't never shown me nothing normal. 
being talked to like you're normal is like living in a storm and being graded on the amount of sunshine you produce. Imagine everything. I mean, all the stuff that really matters is far from normal. What you supposed to do with that? So the way the book is written is broken into two perspectives. One part of the story is told from Jonathan, little Jay, and the second part of the story is told from Mr. Warrington's point of view on how they view the school system, how they view uh, the relationship between teacher-student, and just glimpses into their personal lives that lead up to like a, a large confrontation or a climactic conver- confrontation at the very end of the book. I just believe that the school system is deeply flawed. I believe that we've gotten so focused on standardized scores and renewing charters that we forget about the children. I think personally, right, I think that um, if we spent the beginning of each year, let's say a month at the start of each year, just working on relationships with the children, then I think we'd have more successful schools. We'd have more successful children. I think we, we teach, we tend to teach, we tend to lead from leadership on down. We, we, we tend to lead schools from a fear-based space of, you know, not wanting a low score, not wanting to be an F school. So then we just miss out on, I feel, what really, really matters about being in those buildings, being in those classrooms, being trusted with those children is our relationship to them and our ability to pour our heart into these children and allow them the self-discovery they need to be every bit of their brilliant selves. And I think that's where we miss out. You know, I had a couple of teachers ask me, like, how did you get the scores you got? And it wasn't because I'm a dynamic teacher, because I'm not. It's because I have dynamic children and I allow them to be dynamic children. You know, I remember my first year teaching and um, it was all about, and it's still here now, this idea of a quiet classroom being a good classroom. But if the classroom is completely silent, then there's no joy of learning happening. When you're joyful, when you have joy, you're not silent about it. So why would we want our children to be? So you walk into my room and we're cracking jokes and we're laughing and we're learning and we're unpacking the text together. We're deepening our relationship with each other and deepening our relationship with the content that we're given. And it is a bit heartbreaking that the school is closing after this year because I wish I had two more years at least with my children. Because the amount of work that we did this year, the amount of growth that they did this year, I can only imagine what that would look like in two more years. Because the, this is the difference, right? Like in social studies and history, it's more skill-based. And our children aren't taught skill. We've been pushing content to them for so long, you know, and by the time they're in the sixth grade, they don't remember dates and names and what Tommy J did and... Christopher Columbus getting lost and discovering a place that people already lived in. What, so then they don't have any kind of reference for anything, and they, and they struggle in sixth grade, seventh grade. When they get to high school, they just struggle because they don't know skill. They, and that's been the, uh, the approach is teaching skill, not just content skill, but life skill, and being able to love on them and allow them to love back on you and relating to them, I think that's one of the biggest um, 
biggest hurdles that we we have to find a way to get over when it comes to uh, our children. And I know I'm supposed to be here talking about poetry, but I think I am, right? I think of uh, our black and brown children. I think that they are poetry. You know, they are some of the roughest and some of the most gentle poetry that, that I've ever come across. You know, like some of the lives that our kids live, some of the things that our kids have to go through, the strength they have to display every day so that when they come to school, you know, and they act out in school is because that is the only place they get to just be children, just be children. So I think if we're going to have the conversation around those things, we have to understand the context before our content. Mr. Warrington, let me tell you how these teachers only care, how these children only care about yelling and chasing each other down hallways and around classrooms. We focus on culture, a graduated version of behavior-based education. Now, if I spend 90% of my time redirecting behavior, when do I have time to teach skill and content? Now, I know you won't believe me. No one ever believes teachers, the worker bees who are on the ground level every day, leadership all get together at professional development and morning huddles like middle-aged cheerleaders, most who are far removed from the classroom, and rally about how eager the kids are to learn. It is all a lie. They are eager to get out of class, eager to impress each other. I wouldn't be surprised if they held special little meetings and gave out awards to the student who can get the most teachers to cry or quit or be fired. That's what it really means to be a student at the end of every class, at the end of every day. My name is Kevin Warrington. And just in case I fall from a mountain of ungraded papers or I'm fired tomorrow or I quit today, I need someone to understand what happens inside of city schools. I want someone to understand the ground level of the charter school climb. That is why I'm telling you this. I am trusting that you'll know what to do with this once you finish reading my story, which is a lot like all of our stories. I am from Aurora, Colorado. My mother was raised in Denver. My father is from New Orleans, born and raised in the seventh ward by a single mother of eight in a small shotgun home near the fairgrounds. My parents met, fell in love, bought a house, bought two strollers, then rolled out divorce papers. My father returned to New Orleans. My mother returned to religion. They both kind of snuck back. Him under the guise of Mardi Gras years ago, her under the guise of saving his soul. My sister and I received one of his straight, straight shooting annual phone calls. Just before the bourbon and the beads had worn off, I done found a place and I'm staying. I'll call you in a few weeks so you can come visit. We didn't hear from him. We didn't see him again until eight months ago. My sister went back with my mom. I moved here when I got the word that he'd fallen ill. The Crescent City is home now. It is heaven and hell. Even with the roads that flood and cover gaps that swallow perfectly good tires, even with the post-Katrina procrastinations by the city government, this city takes a hold of you like a slurred hallelujah. New Orleans is the kind of survival place that teaches you how to worship your own smile. I bought all my father's grocery from Winn-Dixie, a mile away from his house. A month into my move, I was shopping, accidentally bumped into an elderly woman. She must have known I was about to apologize, so she cut me off. Oh, it's okay, my baby. Now, I ain't never been nobody's baby before. I mean, mamas don't count. 
So I smiled, a smile that day that I didn't know existed in me. Her smile, her representation of the culture of this new home warmed me. That moment warmed every moment after. It warmed every moment before. And I have been teaching at McDonald 28 Public Schools since I moved to New Orleans. My dad says it was a completely different school years ago. Most of the staff have been in the building for a number of years. The first floor is pre-kindergarten. The second floor is elementary. The third floor is middle school. The building I hear has always been a crude structure, but the staff, the students were a family. Dysfunctional, but family held together by brick and bravery around the city. You hear two stories. One, before the storm. Two, after the storm. Around the school, you hear two stories. One, before charter. Two, after charter. Miss Keith, seventh grade math, says over coffee, says over any chance given, something strange happened when the charter school network took over the school. The first thing they did after selling us a fantasy was take away all teacher protection. We have no rights when it comes to teacher versus student offenses or flagrant student behavior. Two months ago, people started labeling the building the problem place. It'll be called something else after whoever takes it over next year, and that's how occupation happens. A greater force enters a struggling space proclaiming goodwill. They let it sink. They help it to forget its name. They help it to forget its history. I teach the sixth grade social studies. I enjoy teaching some days, even though this first year has made me question God, all of them. Thing is, we all, especially us of the lighter hue, come in full of shiny college hope. We are completely unprepared for what a real flesh and blood student is like. I'm here early. I stay late to puncture the solid mass of work and general teaching that everyone else seems to have mastered. I'm trying, but I still can't get through to the students in front of me. It wasn't until my talk with Mrs. McLeod that I realized that during year one, the kids are teaching me more about myself. You are the real student, she says one morning before huddle. And we just found out that the school is closing after this year. Students don't see our effort and care. Leaderships don't see our effort and care. And now the network is legally blind. I'm not sure if things will be better if I accept another position at another school, but I figure just about anything must be an improvement from the mess that's been spun and made here. If it wasn't for the small bit of hope and grace I would have held on to, I would have left two weeks in. Truth is, I don't like my students. Not all the time. And there, I said it. I don't like the way they rush into my classroom only to take their time learning. I don't like that they don't take tests seriously. I don't like that they can't walk in a straight line. I don't like level zero. And matter of fact, I hate all them damn levels of minus. And I don't like how they eat lunch with their mouths wide open, with their greasy ass hands and messy faces. On days that I don't like my students the most, I dislike little Jay most of all. And if I'm honest, some days I wish they had shut this building down before I got here, before it became a space where teachers have to hold on to hope just to be inside the walls. Exit Ticket, oh, young adult novel written in verse, will be published by Field Auto Press um, at the end of this month. And I'm so very excited. This book is dedicated to and inspired by brilliant students like Dominique Franklin, Denia Manchin, Earl Payne III, Gerard Watkins, Delano Williams, Wallace Wright, Jonathan Johnson, Isaiah Richardson, Timothy Wynn, Alfonso McGee, Ashlyn Franklin, Avarion Tucker, Lanisha Winsey, Gabriel Gibson, Anaria Foy, Jeronica Marshall, 
Sheldon Stockton, Clement Griffin, Braylon Toussaint, Serenity Murdoch, and Frederick Robertson. I love all of you, and I believe in every single one of you and every child out there just like them. Thank you. So why do I write? Um, there's a little person right now sitting on my lap who's 14 years, oh, no, 14 months old. This is Zoe Smith. I don't know if she's going to actually speak. Let's see. I'm not sure if you can hear her. <laughs> so this is Zoe Smith. So I, I wrote Exit Ticket for my students, but also for future students like Miss Zoe Smith here. <laughs> and then Miss Latoya Harvey, a.k.a. Coach Harvey, uh, was actually the reason why I started um, teaching at the school. <laughs> so... She was substitute teaching, and she came home and told me that uh, the school was in trouble. And um, I immediately said, where should I sign up? And uh, if it wasn't for her, then this book wouldn't be possible, and I wouldn't have met my wonderful, wonderful kids. So, um, and then if I hadn't met my wonderful kids, we probably wouldn't be married. So, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Coach Harvey, you don't have anything to say at all. Well, Zoe spoke like you should say something, right? Um, yeah, I just worked at McDonald City Park and I was substitute teaching, um, coaching, physical education. And I did not think that Don't eat the they mic. would make a lasting impact, but they definitely did. But it's, it's amazing to see how the school has come along so far. Uh, the work that Mr. Smith has done is remarkable, and the kids are absolutely amazing. I'm grateful for the time I got to share there, but I'm grateful that he came along and took them so much further than I ever would have imagined. So your work has absolutely been amazing. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, I guess that's the my that was poet and educator T.V. Smith reading from his upcoming book uh, with a nice little cameo from his family at the end there. A big thanks to them for joining us for the recording session. And that's this week's show. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a new community poetry and writing program from WRBH. You can tune in every Saturday at 1 p.m. and on Mondays at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>